The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Now is the time to kind of like really figure out how can we build a better system? Because there is no going back. Do you know what I mean? There is no such thing as, as racial reconciliation anymore. That's not happening. That's over. We're not going back that way. We can't. We can't. Because going back means more of the same. It means going back to where we were. There is no racial reconciliation. Right now, we need something brand new. We need a whole new system, and we need to build it from the ground up. Before we do that, we got to burn it down. I'm forever wandering, listening for a silent God. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I am your host, John Williamson, and uh, we have an uh, unplanned episode this week. Um, this one was um, put together and recorded uh, in very short notice and um, for good reason. So uh, we always have kind of our episodes planned out like a month or two in advance, and uh, we keep getting thrown curveballs. Uh, by life. Um, but important things and important topics to, to discuss in a timely manner. Um, so obviously the last couple of weeks or last couple episodes, rather, we've kind of discussed COVID um, and the effects of a pandemic um, on a society, on, on faith, um, the mental strain that that sort of uh, phenomenon uh, can cause. And so um, so that was something I felt was very important to address. Uh, how do we get through something that we've never experienced before? Uh, and so now uh, we have uh, another just life-altering uh, moment happening in the history of our country and, and something that, quite frankly, was, was needed and um, was, was coming. And unfortunately, it took the, the senseless death um, and, and, quite frankly, murder of... Um, uh, a black man in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, at the hands of police yet again. And so, um, and so now we find ourselves at this, um, crossroads where, um, there are protests happening, uh, all over the country. In fact, this morning, uh, it was, uh, I, I saw a news article that said that now it's official that all 50 States have, have had protests, um, as a sign of solidarity, um, you know, with the black community and uh, calling for very necessary changes in the way that police forces across the country um, are trained and, um, you know, and, and just the core root, of course, like police brutality is one thing, but really um, that's, that's the surface. Um, you know, the, the issue at hand, the issue at the heart of it is just the systemic racism that still exists in the country. It's still a problem. Um, we'd like to think that we are, we've progressed, that we've evolved, that we've, we've moved forward um, as people living in the 21st century. But um, the fact of the matter is, it's just not true. And, and all you need to do is talk to uh, any person of color. And um, it, it's, it's just, it's frustrating and sad and, and 
um, and, and oftentimes horrific, uh, some of the stories that you hear. And, and so, um, and now, um, you know, we've seen a, a community of people, um, who have had enough because they're quite frankly, their voice has not been heard. Um, and, and so sometimes you have to shout in the face of, of power, um, to, to get anything to happen. And so, um, I want to have somebody on who could speak from experience, um, you know, and, and provide insight and perspective, um, and really, you know, help those of us who, who may be listening, who, uh, consider themselves to be white allies, um, what is the right position to take? What is the right way to help uh, without getting in the way? Um, and how can we use our privilege um, for power, uh, for good, you know, for, to help uh, facilitate lasting change? Because that's what needs to happen. It has to be, this can't just be a movement that happens and is in the news and uh, has our attention uh, for, for the next week or two weeks or three weeks. This is something that needs to continue to be uh, a part of the conversation and we need to do everything we can to support our black brothers and sisters and, and our, our um, any, any persons of color. And, and we need to do things that actually um, can help change the system because the system is broken. And so, um, so we discuss that and, and we talk about ways that we can really kickstart that and, and things that we can do. And, and there is no perfect solution, unfortunately right now, but there are, things that we can do that will help. Um, and as Christians, it is our duty as we are all children of God to, to find tangible ways to help support, whether that's by donating funds to uh, one of the many organizations like the NAACP uh, or one of the many um, uh, organizations that uh, are, are trying to help the cause right now, or whether that's just doing something uh, in your local community by, by supporting uh, black business owners and, and supporting, supporting them in your local community. Um, so um, it's a really great conversation. Um, Drew's a, an amazing guy and, and a brilliant um, artist. And so um, really appreciated him coming on. Uh, we're going to continue this. This is going to be a series. Um, uh, I have another guest coming on and, um, and, and hope to have a couple more. And so um, we'll continue to discuss this and, and we'll continue to, to do what we can to, to help. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so, so this kicks off our, our conversation on race and racism and what we can do to help, um, create tangible change. So, um, also on this episode, you'll hear, uh, Drew's music. Uh, as I said, Drew is also, um, a musician and a producer, um, as well as being, um, an activist, uh, so I will have his social media links, of course, in the show notes. Uh, so if you uh, want to support him, uh, you can support him uh, through through uh, through there. Um, additionally, um, if you want to keep up on what we're up to, as always, www.thedeconstructionists.com. Uh, you can listen to back episodes. Uh, if you want to go listen to the old Drew Hart episode, uh, you can find that there as well. Um, We'll also have some book recommendations and some links in the show notes. Um, and uh, as always, if you want to read our blog, uh, that's through the website. Our, our web store is through the website. Um, you can join our Patreon family through the website. But one thing I would say is this month, if, if you're thinking about uh, helping uh, to support us, maybe use those funds uh, towards one of these organizations and, um, and really help out. Uh, and, and show solidarity. I, I think that would be a, a beautiful gift and a, and, a, and a good way to start. So 
Anyway, uh, support Drew, support his music, support what he's doing. Um, like I said, we'll continue this conversation. Uh, but uh, for now, um, we'll kick it off this week with, with our friend Drew. Uh, so without further ado, here is Drew freaking Brown. Dark, crawling through the deep, deep weeds. I can hear those wild beasts. All right. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. Uh, today, I'm super excited to have on the podcast. This is a long time coming. I've got Drew Brown. Thank you so much for coming on today, Drew. Man, it's my pleasure. I'm you know, a long time fan. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And I know we followed each other online. So, you know, yeah, and, and had many conversations <laughs> that way. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, I know this was kind of impromptu. I hit you up, um, a, a few days ago in light of the current situation. I've kind of shuffled around like our calendar, um, just because I think this is such an important topic and one that, um, has been important to, to our podcast. Um, you know, just in terms of using what platform we have, um, for as much good as we possibly can. And so, um, so before we get into that, obviously, uh, tell the people a little bit about who you are and, and kind of your background. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, my name is Drew Brown. I am Canadian. So I'm hanging out just outside Toronto, Ontario, just North of you guys. I'm a uh, singer, songwriter, producer, and an activist. So I do a lot of, um, social justice work, but also, and especially lately, lots of community building and, and, and community involvement stuff and anti-racism. So those are the two big things I've been working on for the last four or five years up here in, in Canada, in the great white north. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I'm not doing that, then I'm usually with a guitar in my hand, um, either producing artists or playing music in different spaces, whether it's uh, a spiritual space or down the pub with whiskey in my hand as well. Nice. And, and, and you mentioned before we started yeah, recording that you've, you've been down uh, to play and, and record, you know, in the States uh, many times before. So you're very familiar with the layout of the States and kind of our history in terms of like race and race relations. Completely. I've, I've lots of family in the States. And so I hang out there often. Um, and yeah, and I do a lot of work down there, like in Nashville and New York and, um, you know, play lots of shows down there as well. So, um, I spent a lot of time uh, down there, and so, and because we'll have so much family, and they're and they're like me, like we're all kind of you know political in a way. Um, most of our conversations are based in politics, not just American, not just Canadian, but also world politics, and how how we are all, um, you know, we all feel the weight of what happens around the world. It's not just isolated incidences, as you can see with what's happening right now. Yeah, and 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 obviously. That's the main reason um, I really wanted you to come on and, and speak and, and give uh, perspective that um, that I, I simply would not be able to provide. And so, um, so yeah, let's talk about that. Obviously, um, things are very, very tense, um, not only just around the United States, but around the world. Uh, protests have been going on now at this point uh, for, for days. And in fact, I just got an alert on my phone uh, that says here in Columbus, Ohio, um, they're extending the the curfew. Um, again this evening um, to try to stem some of some of the protesting. Um, but of course, the whole reason we're having this conversation is on uh, May 25th, uh, not too long ago, uh, there was a man named George Floyd, who's a 46-year-old black man who was arrested in Minneapolis after being accused of buying cigarettes with a counterfeit $20 bill. At some point, we know that police arrived and he was handcuffed and pinned to the ground under 
the weight of three police officers, and one of which, Derek uh, Chauvin, I believe is how you pronounce his name, uh, knelt on the back of his neck uh, while he begged for his life in front of bystanders. This was all videotaped. Uh, The bystanders in the video were screaming for the officer to remove his knee uh, and allow him to breathe. And after what they estimate to be eight minutes and 46 seconds, uh, they transported George Floyd's lifeless body to a local hospital uh, where he was declared dead. And um, obviously video footage of this went viral. And uh, very shortly after this, protests kicked off in Minnesota and quickly spread across the United States. And as of this morning, as we were talking about before we started recording, um, it's officially now all 50 states. And what's even more remarkable is uh, in a show of solidarity, it's continued to spread across the world um, in your uh, native Mm -hmm. land, in Canada, England, France, Australia. Um, I even saw images from Syria uh, that appeared online. Um, And so uh, I guess the first question I have for you is obviously this is not the first incident of pr- police brutality directed towards a person of color. Uh, so what are, what are your initial thoughts, uh, at least from uh, the perspective of someone watching um, all of this happen uh, within the United States? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like for me, uh, Okay, my, my first initial thought was like, okay, so here here we go again, you know. It's this this is and from and like it's been a month of this, right? There was there was a Breonna Taylor, there was a mod, there was like there was like May was a month of seeing you know uh, my black brothers and sisters being shot up. Just I mean, in terms of like larger um, news making, you know, things events, um, and so by the time you know you know this. George Floyd um, left this earth. Oh, uh, myself, and I'm sure most people were kind of, I'm done. I'm done. Like, something needs to change. And you know what? I think even, even though I don't live in Canada, um, it's not so much about the border as it is about this common story, this common narrative that many black people have, have, have seen, felt, and heard, and experienced. And so when I see this, I feel it too. Um, and so I, I was waiting and I was hoping that the, that the laws, that the governments would say, hey, you know what, this is bad. We got to take them in. I was hoping for some serious stress to happen pretty quick. And I think if it did happen, um, we wouldn't see the riots like we did. We wouldn't see the protests like we did. We wouldn't see the, the outrage um, as much. It would still be, it still be anger for sure. It still be frustration. Yeah. But I think it would have been good to have felt like, okay, finally we are being seen in this way. People are seeing this as being a bad thing and not just being passed over. But it took so long for anything to happen. And that's just not going to cut it. (laughs) So that was, I think, between the death and the length of some kind of sense of justice, something had to happen. Um, and then something did. Um, so for me, I was um, completely taken back when I was as I was watching all these things unfold in Minneapolis. I was a part of me wanted to be there. A part of me was frightened for people. I didn't want more death to happen. I didn't want anybody to. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so I was like, I don't want anybody to get sick. I'm 
you know, I'm a, I, I love, I love the ruckus, but I'm also a dad. And so I feel, um, that I feel this weird sense of protection. You know, I want to, I don't want people to, to hurt themselves or get themselves arrested or, but this needs to happen. It had to happen. It's, I mean, we're on the edge for so long anyway. <laughs> it was, the gasoline was set. The match is in the hand and it was fall. It was lit and it was falling to the ground. It just a matter of waiting for it to make contact. That's it. Um, so that's kind of where I was feeling. I was like, okay, any day now, something's going to blow. What I didn't see, what I didn't realize was how, oh man, just how much this feeling would spread across the world. I was talking, oh no, I was talking to, I was, I heard um, a quick uh, little snippet of, um, of uh, Floyd's uh, daughter. I can't remember her name right now. I'm sorry. Um, and, she, and she was saying, uh, my, my dad changed the world. Oh. And I'm like, yes, he did. Yeah. That's not even exaggeration. Like, it's not even like a kid, like, my dad's awesome. No, that's, that's, he did. And so, like, I have no idea what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Because, you know, these things come in waves, right? These things come in waves. We get angry for a bit, and then we're pushed back down, and then it's quiet again, and then there's, um, so it could be, you know, what happened, you know, the same thing that happened after Ferguson, you know, something big happened, oh my gosh, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't matter to anybody else anymore. But I feel because this has so much momentum, I think it has to go somewhere. And I think it's going to be somewhere um, that America has, hasn't been before in many, 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 many years. And I'm both frightened and excited <laughs> to see it play out because um, a change needs to happen. Oh, yeah, a change is here. Yeah, it, we were yeah. we were talking about that very thing before we started recording, and um, and that's that's been my hope is that uh, that this energy, this this uh, this energy, this power that you feel behind this movement, this thing that has spread like wildfire, uh, wildfire, um, is focused into uh, tangible action, and whether that's voting, and, and yes. like you said, you, you mentioned something yes. that I think is very important, so I'd love for you to talk about that, not only voting on a national level, but voting on a local level, and why that's important. Yeah, totally. Like we, This is going to be so key, um, not just for, for blacks, not just for people of color, not just for my queer brothers and sisters, but also for our white allies. We, the, how we vote will change everything. Um, that's going to be the final card. I kind of wish, I kind of wish you guys had more options. You guys started off so strong. I know. <laughs> like, I know. There were so many amazing people on the bill. I was like, oh, America's in good hands. <sighs> I was like cheering you guys on, and now I'm like, oh, oh, crap. <laughs> I know. It's um, it's it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. It's two parties. It's really two parties. That's the frustrating part is if we had more parties, more viable parties, that would be, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? Yeah. But yeah. I, I think I mean, that's the key, man. Like how America votes. Like if you're listening and if you consider yourself an ally, you, you hopefully you know who not to vote for. <laughs> if right. you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. um, so I think that will be a big change, but also, um, like that 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 card doesn't need to be played until November. 
there's tons of things you can do between now and then. And so hitting up your, you know, your local government, local city council, because um, that's where the power is right now. You can make some great change. There's power in numbers, um, and we have a lot of numbers behind us right now. Um, and social media can help with that. So definitely create something, think about it, process it, um, and let's use the power of voting. You know what I'm saying? I think that's where it's at. Yeah, and I think I think you made a great point when we were talking earlier about um, you know not just being like who you pick as president, but also there are a number of local issues and local politicians who um, you know just by a, a city or a town putting pressure on those politicians, um, you can really effectively enact change on a on a local level because that's really where it starts. These police departments yeah. are local, you know. That's right. That's right. It's all but the local first. It really, really is. Um, the more that we can change in our own neighborhoods, the more we can change in our cities and our towns, the better the country will be. Um, oh man, remember, uh, I don't know if you watched this, but Killer Mike um, yes. did this really cool speech. Oh, it's beautiful. And it was brilliant. And I'm, I'm so sorry, any Killer Mike fans, I want to get this wrong, but he said right now is the time. Right now is not the time to, to burn homes. Right now is the time to plot and plan and strategize and Yes. mobilize and organize, you know? And I was like, this guy gets it. Like, I mean, also it might be time to burn out homes down too, but, but, right. but yeah, we need, now is the time to kind of like really figure out how can we build a better system? Cause there is no going back. Do you know what I mean? There's no such thing as, as racial reconciliation anymore. That's not happening. That's over. You can't put, what new wine to old wine skins, bro? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're not going back that way. We can't. We can't because going back means more of the same. It means going back to where we were. There is no racial reconciliation right now. We need something brand new. We need a whole new system, and we need to build it from the ground up. Before we do that, we got to burn it down. So, <laughs> so yeah. Now, like Killer Mike was right. We need to plot and plan and strategize and mobilize and organize. I'm so I'm sure I'm sure I'm getting that wrong. Sorry, Killer Mike. Um, but if my memory serves me correctly. Those are the the things that he said, the four or five things that he said, and I think that is where it's at, and that starts on a local level, neighborhood, uh, um, um, town, city, you know, city council, um, your mayorship. Your that's where it starts. Your member par- member parliament. That's a Canadian thing. Sorry, your <laughs> member of Congress. I think what you guys call it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's. That's where it starts. Heavy-hearted, longing for someone you know. May you find a light. May you find. What I, I don't know if you've seen this too. I, I'm a huge, actually, a huge Killer Mike fan. Uh, Run the Jewels just came out with a new record today, and uh, if you are a fan, uh, by the way, if you they're giving it away for free, but if you donate money, there's an option where you can you can donate money for the album. Um, all of that goes to. Uh, I think it's bail funds and stuff for for people who are protesting. So it goes towards a good cause. Um, but wow. yeah, but w- one of the things that. Um, I can't remember if it was his TV show years ago because uh, uh, Killer Mike had this amazing TV show uh, at, at one point. Um, I think it was like on Netflix or something. But um, one of the things, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe I'm maybe I'm blending two things together. Uh, doc, I watch a lot of documentaries too, so 
Um, but at one point I saw there was, um, there was a, like a community, uh, committee or council or something that was formed in Atlanta specifically. And they were used as a way to, uh, provide people that represented the neighborhoods that were being policed. And it was a way to keep, uh, to keep the, the police department in check, essentially. Like they had ongoing dialogue where the police department, chief of police and, you know, this committee, uh, would meet. And, um, that's one of the things he called for in his speech was to bring that back. So they must've gotten rid of it or something at, at some point, but, what a great idea for communities across the country because from what I recall in whatever it was I was watching, documentary or whatever, um, it seemed to be very effective. And it, and it, and it enabled uh, dialogue to happen, which is exactly what's not happening in many of the cities across the United States right now as these protests are happening. Wow, that's, that's great. It's, fun, it's funny here in – so I, I live just in the in Toronto area and Toronto's a big city. It's like this massive – thing. And um, the big topic that's happening right now, especially in the black community and the black leaders, is how can we defund the police? Um, Because it's not working for a lot of people. Um, And so how can we take the guns away and put more money into neighborhoods or communities where they need it the most? Um, and not and not just like destroying the police. We 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 need police. We that's an important part of our community for sure. but because they're always coming in, um, usually they usually show up as things have already happened. Um, there's probably a better way to kind of utilize some of these monies or, or taking some of that money and putting it towards um, more like therapy. Like, so instead of coming in with a bunch of guns, come in with someone who can really talk people down, who can really sense the situation, who's a little more empathetic to what's happening um, and maybe even – um, help with any mental health issues, mental health issues, or uh, maybe help with um, almost like a social worker vibe to kind of like ease the situation better. Um, which I think could be brilliant as long as there's some great education around that. Um, but that is, but that's going to be a big cultural shift for well for the, for our whole country if that ever happens. Like to sort of take a little bit of power away from the cops, uh, gun gun power specifically. Um, and I have no idea how that's going to play out, but I think the idea of it is fascinating. And as I, as I was um, looking at it, you know, I'm, I'm a big social media guy, and so I did the hashtags. And I noticed this is not just happening in Toronto; this is happening in New York, in LA, and other large areas as well. So that's going to be an interesting conversation as the weeks and months sort of go on to see how far up this goes. Right now, it's on a simple, low community level with a lot of local leaders. I'm curious about whether it goes any further. Yeah, I saw, I read something, I think that, I think it was this morning, uh, along the lines of, uh, the federal government, uh, no longer supplying, uh, police departments with, um, like armor, body armor and, uh, weaponry or something along those lines. Cause you know, you see, you see some of these, uh, police departments that are, basically barricading areas of these protests and maybe, I mean, they're, they're fully ready to rock, you know, like they look like the military. They are, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an oppo- imposing picture. The pictures coming out of these protests are just, I mean, if I was standing right in the front there, I would be terrified. I mean, it's a completely, uh, it, it like a power picture, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like, That's like, it's, it's like, it's like RoboCop, like a bunch of RoboCops coming yes, in. Yes, exactly. 
That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, it looks like a ton of RoboCops, and that and it's it's clearly meant to intimidate. That's right. So I, I want to talk about that. Uh, oh, go ahead. Did you have some more you want to add? No, no, go, go for it. Oh, no, just, let's move on. Let's move on. No, it's okay. <laughs> There's so many avenues to go down. Um, one of, exactly. One, one of the big things I want to get your take on is um, the thing that's been, uh, I think, disgusting me even more. Like, obviously, when this first came out, I think we all watched the video, and it was incredibly hard to watch. Um, you know, I describe it as you're watching uh, slow motion murder in real time, and it was it was it was disgusting what what happened uh, to this man, and really over nothing, over nothing, over uh, like an alleged twenty dollar counterfeit bill. Like even if it was. It's $20 and this man lost his life over that. Um, And so um, as if that wasn't enough, you know, I know a lot of us who who consider ourselves to be allies of our, our, our black brothers and sisters out there. um, What is, has been even more disturbing possibly than even the the murder itself. And it was a murder. There's no question. Um, I think has been the response of, the police departments across the United States uh, to what have been by and large peaceful protests. And I think what's, what's been kind of um, a, a weapon for good, I think in, in this instance, in this day and age is the fact that there are so many videos of these things taking place that it cannot be covered up anymore. It cannot be kept a secret. And sure, there are absolutely instances where, you know, people, uh, you know, become violent and, and the police have to take action. I, I get that. But what we're sure. seeing now is a overwhelming amount of evidence that shows that the protesters by and large are, are peaceful. They're standing there, they're chanting, uh, you know, they're kneeling, they're trying to engage in dialogue with the police and the police are the aggressors. I mean, I've seen so many just disturbing videos over the past few days um, of, of this happening. And, it, it, there's been zero attempts from what I can see of, of the police even attempting to talk with the protesters. I mean, we've seen a couple instances. There was a um, sheriff, I think in, uh, in, in Michigan who, who took off his body armor and, and marched with, uh, with the protesters. And we've seen uh, the, the chief of police from Atlanta uh, walking amongst the crowd and talking with people. And so we, it can be done. We have seen it, but, there are, I mean, New York, uh, we saw Seattle, I think in Portland and LA, even in New York or, uh, Columbus here. And, and the other part of it too, is, is we're seeing instances where the media are being targeted. Yep. It, it just seems like absolute chaos. Like we're living in some sort of military state and it's, it's terrifying. It's, it's angering. I I've cried more times than I can count, uh, over the past week because it's 2020 and this is where we are. Um, so I don't even know where do we begin to fix this problem? Well, first of all, we need to recognize that right now you are living in a military state. Straight up. Like right now. You know what I mean? Right now, this, this is what's happening. This is it. Um, and it's only going to get worse from here as things if things progress they are, and keep going the way they are right now, it's only going to get worse. Um, and that's unfortunate. And yes, I am being maybe a little bit you know, overdramatic when I say military state, for sure. Um, uh, because like, it, this is only going to get bigger. 
the more pressure, because you're right, I'm, I'm watching this footage. I'm watching these amazing, beautiful, beautiful humans. Just, just they're singing, they're, 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 they're yelling, and they're, they're angry and they're frustrated, but they're not doing anything. They're lying down. They're it, it, really peaceful protests. Just making sure that, that people are heard and seen. And cops come down and like squirting kids with like, you know, the, the tear gas or whatever. That makes no sense to me. Why? Now, I mean, I mean, there, there's a lot of videos that you can't trust. I've seen a few of them are kind of like, eh, that doesn't work. That's not real. Yeah. There's this one, there's one video, I don't know if you've seen it, but like, um, this, uh, there's a bunch of policemen and they're like smashing up one of their cars and they're like, look, look at these police guys. They're smashing their cars. I'm like, no, no, dude, what, what they're doing is that their windshield is broken. So they're trying to kick the windshield out so they can drive. Right. That, that's what's happening, man. Like, like, chill on the lies, bro. You know? Um, and I think, I feel, and I'm a, I'm a skeptic at heart. And so, and I feel there's even a few of these, these videos and photos of these, of, these, of these cops who mean well. I think they do mean well. I think they're amazing people. But they're trying to create photo ops or video ops in these moments to create a sense of like we are in this together, which isn't a bad thing. To be real, that's it's better to do that than not. But I feel like I feel that people will sense and will feel the fakeness in all these things, and that just make people people more angry. I think the move here now is. How do we move forward racially and build proper, realistic bridges between the black community? And, you know, my my first reaction was to say um, the police, but no, the black community and the government is actually what we're talking about. Um, Because all we want is to be heard and seen and to be, you know, for, for us to, for you guys to, for you guys, you know what I'm saying, for, you know, to find some sense of like, okay, we believe you in this. Um, I think if we can get there sooner than later, we'll be okay. Um, but I can't handle the videos anymore. Like I actually stopped watching a lot of the riot stuff. I didn't even watch. I couldn't even, I couldn't watch half of the videos that came up. Um, I just could not do it. It just felt, I, I, I thought I was going to die. Mm. Um, it created a very visceral response. Um, and so for me, I was like, uh, my, my knee jerk, jerk reaction was kind of like, okay, so how can we make sure this doesn't continue? Um, slash, how can I help other people who either want to be allies or consider themselves to be allies? How can I help them um, understand better what is happening but also understand their role in all of this. Um, because people think racism is like calling me the N-word. And yeah, that's true. But I mean, it goes way deeper than that. You know, it's, it's, it's way more complicated and easier to hide, right? Um, it's, and it's way more sort of, I don't want to say taken for granted, but people sometimes don't care. It's like, Again, it's like the women's march. It's like sexism, right? It's like 
it's so easy for many people to turn a blind eye to like a really bad remark towards a woman or a cat call or, you know, some backhanded remark in the locker room. And this is a really easy thing to do. And, and that's one level. But also, there's also a million layers underneath that in which men are really hurting our sisters, destroying them, taking opportunities away from them, treating them horribly, abusing them, right? It's the same thing when it comes to race. And so I think peeling back, I'm going to use that Shrek metaphor, peeling back the layers of the onion when it comes to racism and exposing all of it, I think is how we're going to get through this mess. I think it's how we're going to um, survive the storm that we are in. I think it's the only way to do it. Um, and define what, I guess, our new relationship will be. It won't be reconciled. It needs to be something else. So, so where in, in your, in your opinion, does that, does that begin? Because obviously like you identified something, I think that's really important, which is that this is more than just an issue of police brutality. Certainly that's what led us to this point, but ultimately it comes down to the fact that this, you know, that there's racism that still occurs in our country, uh, albeit usually more subtle and it's not as blatant as, you know, uh, the KKK showing up in your front yard anymore, but it's, <laughs> That's right. yeah. it's almost worse. It's almost worse in the sense that it's more, it's more subtle and yes. And it's, it's still pervasive throughout uh, the, the country. Um, and, and so the root cause obviously is the fact that we are still struggling with this, this, I, you know, this thing, this horrible, disgusting thing called racism. And the fact that we've got police officers who, by and large, uh, stop people of color, you know, infinitely more, uh, than, than white people, uh, you know, when they're pulling people over, when they're, you know, there's, there's, I mean, there's a multitude of videos online where you can see, uh, people getting pulled over or questioned or whatever for a multitude of reasons. Um, and, and so you, you mentioned education being one of those things. I think that is hugely important. Um, but yeah, what else, how do we, how do we get, a system that, that, that was built, uh, on racism essentially in the United States. I mean, this, the system is set up in such a way to benefit the white people who came over from Europe. Uh, I mean, that's just a fact, you know, you know, yeah. we talked about that with, with Dr. Drew Hart a couple years ago, um, who, who we're going to have back on, but, uh, it's baked into the system. And so, um, so how do we how do we fight against something that is literally baked into the system? Like where do we begin? You gotta burn the system down, brother. <laughs> I like it. All right, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it. Oh, I think yeah, and that's that's the thing. I think that is the key. I think bringing on some new blood into the system will help, um, but it won't fix the problem completely. Um, I think it really comes down to creating. Some kind of dot. You know what? I have no idea. I can definitely, I can think of some creative thoughts around that. Um, like, I think, I think bringing more people around the table to talk about how we can decolonize our government a little bit. Because I mean, oh man, there's that. Doctor J had that quote. Uh, oh my god. Um, he he pretty much uh, the metaphor is like racism is like dust in the air, hmm. right? Um, it's invisible and you're choking on it. And, but as soon as you let some light into it, as soon as you let the light in, it's like, oh, there it is. You can see it. 
And so I think bringing more people, more voices around the table somehow on a government level, I think, and the right people, you know, and bring the right people around the table. I think that'll help us bring the light in so we can see the specks of dust of racism in the air that we are breathing all the time. I think that's the only way to do it. And on every single level, um, whether it's a, an accountability committee, whether it is bring them on a, like, uh, you know, begin sort of talking about how this looks in terms of board or trustees. Um, I think finding and bringing in the right people around the table will help a lot because it is, it is everywhere. And it's the system is, is like, it's embedded into the systems. And so, um, Okay, a buddy of mine, and I, I, I had this quote memorized, so I'm good. I'm good. I got this. Um, <laughs> a buddy of mine, um, he posted something on on Twitter, and he said, um, you know, we're, uh, he was talking about the, the beatitudes, and Jesus said, "Blessed are the peacemakers," and um, he was like, uh, Jesus said, "Peacemakers, not peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is like non-racism. Like I'm not, I'm not a racist. So this a sense of like inaction, deniability." silence, right? No, 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 I'm good. No, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And so peacemaking is anti-racism. So that means action. And that means elevating voices. And so I think what needs to happen is um, our governments, all of our sectors need to be, um, we need to sort of um, put on the cloak of anti-racism. We need to wear the lens of anti-racism. We need to use the microphone of anti-racism as we like create some action steps around it and elevate the right voices and bring them around the table. I think it's the only way that we can actually see a little bit of success because it's going to be a long process. Burning down this thing this and, and you know, raging against this machine is going to be a long process, but one that's worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, gosh. It, yeah. I, I just, I mean, we were talking about the fact that, like this, this now that this has happened, America cannot go back to the way things were. Like it's it impossible. It is impossible. That's right. So one of the things you and I were talking about before we started recording that I think um, is something that I've been struggling with. Like there's obviously no question if, if you you know met me in person, um, I'm basically as white as a ghost. So you know I I, <laughs> I refer to myself as a Scottish vampire because I just I don't tan. You know, so like. <laughs> I'm fully aware of my whiteness. I am, I'm a middle-aged white guy. I'm literally the status quo, middle class. Like I am, you know, I am the stereotype, unfortunately. But, but as, as someone who, um, you know, like wants to support this movement in, as best I can, and I know a lot of my friends are, are in the same boat. Like uh, I have a lot of great friends who, you know, um, I think are on the right side of history, fortunately. But it's this very weird time for, uh, to, to try to figure out the best move where we can be helpful and not in the way in a sense. And so there's all these opinions online of, of the role of, you know, a white, the white ally in terms of, um, you know, not, not obviously putting ourselves at the front, but still supporting and not being completely silent to silent to the point where we're complacent. And so it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. Like I, you know, I was telling you the other, you know, earlier that I, 
I've wanted to say something to at least acknowledge the fact that that we agree that what happened was atrocious and that it cannot happen in the United States of America. Not now, not ever. And yeah. and and we support our black brothers and sisters, um, and we'll do what we can, uh, you know, to 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 instill change and that sort of thing. But like from from your perspective and your opinion, what what is the best move for for people who want to help who? Uh, maybe this isn't their 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 struggle, and so what what is the best thing for us? You know, best way for us to be helpful. Wow, I think I think the idea is for me. My my first knee jerk reaction to that question is like, okay, so we need to understand that we need all allies to be anti racist. In other words, we need to be working against racism at all times. Right? It's not enough for you to be not racist. Um, you can't just be like, I'm not racist. I'm good. Right. Okay. Right. Um, it, right. And, th- and that's usually the response and that's fair. Um, but, but what we need is for people to be proactively anti-racist. Um, we need active like support and, and help with this. Um, and so that's, and so when doing that, you gotta like, that starts with like, Hey, figuring out your, your own privilege in terms of where you're at. That's, um, uh, you know, learning about that too. There's some great books. I have a bunch of resources on my website somewhere. I don't know where it is. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, in terms of like um, great reads and great podcasts, and, and in terms of understanding what that means, in terms of understanding like um, you know certain places in white supremacy and, and 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 understanding white privilege. I think that is key. I think that it's a great place to start. Sort of work on the inside. Um, Listening is always good. Listening to you know the stories of of our black siblings, because sometimes um, it's so easy to um, negate it. It's so easy to kind of be like, "Oh, you're exaggerating. Oh, you're being dramatic." It's so easy to go like, "That doesn't happen anymore." You know, I had a very very close per- a person in my mind, like very very close to me, said, "There's no such thing as systemic racism mm. right now anymore," and I was like, I almost cried. I can't. I was like, "You got to be kidding me." You must be kidding. And I'll give him some examples. No, 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 no. I'm like, dude. What? I think, yeah, I think it's important <laughs> to, um, to have the conversation. Or at the very, very least, I'm going to say, God damn it. Use Google. Yes. For yes. crying out loud, man. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. There's <laughs> no excuse not to be educated at this point. This is the thing, and so I think I think like it's it's the listening and the learning piece. Um, looking into yourself, looking to yourself, like understanding your own privilege, listening and learning, like hand in hand. That is so so key. And for me, if that once that process starts, everything tends to fall into place. It just sort of like everything is like okay. So now you understand the struggle a bit more. Now you're now you're almost in a place of. I mean, you might move through a little bit of white guilt, and that's fine. Go past it. No one's judging you at this point. Move on. Um, but at some point, you go, okay, so now I just want to be available to help or to not help. Um, and then things will arise in which you can help. It might be as simple as sharing things on social media. Great. It might be as simple as calling out your best friend when he's being a jackass and saying a bunch of racist stuff. Great. It might be as simple as when you're around the family table at Thanksgiving, and Uncle Charlie drops the end bomb call him out. Don't laugh at it. Call him out. Um, and this is, this is where it gets painful. 
<laughs> right? Because now, now, now it's going back to the active participation of being in the anti-racist movement. Um, but like, yeah, the opportunities will come as you begin to sort of look inside yourself, as you listen, and as you learn. I think after that is just really just doing the everyday work of being an ally. Yeah, I, I like what you said too about um, how important it is to read uh, literature and, and read books. Read, you know, so, but you know, like so. One of the things that that um, that I wanted to do um, after reading uh, Dr. Drew Hart's book, because um, that one, I'll be honest, that was the gateway for me. It really opened my eyes oh. in terms of just how deep so this good. thing goes. Yeah, um, the trouble, the trouble I've seen. It's it's a fantastic book. Um, you know, I've, I've definitely tweeted at last couple of days, just, um, you know, just cause I think it's such a great resource, but there are a ton of other books out there as well. Um, that I think are, are just really useful tools, um, for specifically white allies to get yes. a better understanding of just how deep this runs. Yes. Oh my gosh, dude, dude, dude. <laughs> um, sorry. Like I, I'm so excited about this. Uh, so okay, so um, uh, I have so many titles; they're all coming to me at the same time. And I can't, I can't put them together. Um, there's a book called "How to Be an Anti-Racist." Yes. Um, by um, it's dude by um, Ibrahim uh, uh, Kendi. Oh my gosh, it is brilliant. It's so well done, and it's definitely a book that everybody needs to read right now. <laughs> it is fan fantastic. Um, even reading like, uh, 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 Tanishi Coates, uh, between the world and me, um, which I read a few years ago and I'm trying to remember, uh, if I, I got the title right, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a great book. Um, it is fantastic. A great read and it's tons of fun. When I say fun, I'm being sarcastic. It's a pretty heavy book. Mm. Um, there's a book called, um, by Robin D'Angelo called white fragility. Yes. Um, so uh, that for me would be like book number two, like that one and how to be an anti-racist. If you can, if you can find it on Amazon or even better, if you can find it at your local bookstore mm. owned by, you know, uh, a black owner, that would be the best way to go. Um, if you can find those books buy those, start with those two, because those two are brilliant. And then from there you can move into like some James Baldwin and you can move into, I don't know, some, you know, hit some, you know, theology stuff and do some James Cone. You could, it, once you start, you will see that the river is wide and endless and there's tons of great resources. But I think for me, those two books, um, out of all the books I've read, none of the best, but they're the ones I got the most excited about. They, uh, I, I spent most of the time reading it going, yes! <laughs> <laughs> um, and just being really pumped about it. And so I think, uh, yeah, those two books, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist by um, Ibrahim X. Kendi um, and White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. I, I had it memorized. I'm awesome right now. I memorized it. <laughs> My memory is terrible. So 
I'm patting myself on the back right now. <laughs> good Drew, good Drew. Um, yeah, those are my favorite two books right now for that for anti-racism work. Okay. Yeah, and if, if any books that you, you know, any ideas that you have, uh, if you want to send me, I will um, gladly tweet that out and um, absolutely put a list in the show notes for this episode. Cool. Uh, just so people know where to go. And and you you mentioned one of my favorite authors of all time, James Baldwin. Um, I was clued. Oh, yeah. I was clued in. He's a, he's a lesser known uh, civil rights activist, I think, because everybody knows Martin Luther King Jr. Everybody yep. knows Malcolm X, but. James Baldwin was right there in the mix, and my God, what a poet of a writer! Yes, yes, he was actually my favorite one. Wait, let me let me rephrase that. He was the one that spoke to me as like personally. Mm. Like I got into him when I was a young kid, and my my family were really big activists, so I guess I kind of got that from them. And my uncle, he was a big Malcolm. X. One of my uncles was a big Malcolm X guy. Loved Malcolm X. Um, and he saw that I was kind of into jazz and into music. And he was kind of like, oh, you know what? You should get into James Baldwin. He's like artsy. He's a poet. He's a creative. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I, I just devoured so many books. And, oh, yeah, Jane, he is, I think he is incredible. And I am so happy that um, now I can share some of his work with other people as I do my thing. Yeah, and his his books, by and large, are not—they're not super um, dense. You know, they're they're short reads. Yeah. But the guy just right. is just a poet with words and the way that he can convey um, his thoughts. It's just—I mean, it's—it is really like reading poetry. Like the fire next time is it will always be oh. one of my favorite books. Yeah. Totally, man. Uh, so good. I buy that for people. I'm like, here, just trust me. Read this. It'll be some of those beautiful uh, writing you've ever read, and and just heartbreaking, heartbreaking content, of course. But just the way that he had just a gift for words is just, uh, you know, one of my favorites for sure. Completely, man. Totally. Um, oh my gosh. So, in talking about this, this topic, no, no, not at all. I mean, I, I could talk about James Baldwin all day, but. Um, uh, it, one, one of the things we have to cover and, and here's the, one of the things that when Adam and I started this podcast, we tried to be, um, toe that line very, very safely in terms of being, not being too political, uh, not being too preachy, um, you know, trying to stay apolitical as much as possible. Um, but the times we find ourselves in now are unlike anything I've personally ever experienced. And it's become impossible not to speak up and say, what are we doing? And, and, and of course what I'm talking about is the, the current president that we have in the United States of America. And I think the thing that sets me off the most about it is just the fact that he has this overwhelming uh, percentage uh, of of support from specifically white evangelicals, and I don't understand. Like I don't get it. And we're just now, as a result of these protests, and uh, as a result of his publicity stunt the other day, where they literally tear gassed peaceful protesters so that he could go and do a public photo op holding a Bible in front of a church. Um, just now, we are finally seeing some of his most avid supporters uh, within the white evangelical world starting to say, wait a minute, this is this is not okay. Pat Robertson literally said, it's not cool this morning. And I about, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> like, so, I, so it's like, I, 
it's it just, it's so, I mean, I don't get it. It's like, you know, it, this, it, this is finally what it took to get you guys to jump off the bandwagon. I mean, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Uh, three and a half years ago, uh, the, the countless number of, of sexual assault allegation, uh, allegations, the uh, multiple instances where he's mocking people, the, the sheer volume of false information he uh, continues to disseminate, these weird conspiracy theories, uh, refusing to answer questions, disregard for science, policies he signed into law where, it, you know, he, he by and large got, got into the White House on the backs of of the uh, the working class because he said I'm going to fix this for you I'm going to drain the swamp and and you know he, yeah. the first thing they do is they pass a bill that benefits uh, wealthy corporations and it's like he just j- time and time again just countless examples of of just cruelty and lack of empathy and I mean how can you not see that this guy is antithetical to everything Jesus teaches in the gospel and yet. He continues to ride this support. Um, it, what's, what, I guess, what's your sense of that? And 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 what is? I mean, being a Canadian, and the Canadian are, are fun neighbors to the north. Like, how are they? <laughs> how do how how do the Canadian people view this? Like, obviously, you're watching what's going on, and like, you must think that it's just the party has gotten out of control down here. You know, totally. Uh, um, man, someone tweeted uh, last week, like that Canada must feel that they're living above a meth lab. I saw that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, and, it's and that is so true. It's, it's like, what is happening right now? And, and like, like <laughs> it is such like there's time. I Okay. So hear, hear me out. Don't get angry. Um, <laughs> so during the first, the first, uh, election, uh, I guess it was 2016, I suppose. Yep. Um, uh, I remember sitting there, I was at home and I have a buddy of mine and we usually, for any big event, political events, or even like a music or movie event, we, we put on the Google chat or FaceTime or whatever. And we kind of, as we're watching, we're kind of talking to each other so we can see each other. And we were sitting there and I was like, uh, he's going to win. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, he is going to win. And we're, and it was almost like a game show. Like, no. No, he's not gonna. No, this, this, this is not. This is not happening. It's not real. No, and we're like, and then when he won, it was like, oh, oh, what just happened? I feel that's the same thing. I feel every time Trump does anything, I have the same. He's like, no, but this, this, this is a TV show. Right, this is a reality show. Right, this is like it's a movie. It's like Twenty Four. Jack Bauer's around the corner, ready to assassinate him. I'm sure something's happening. It doesn't feel real. Um, unfortunately, though, the damage that he's doing is so far and wide and deep. I'm like, and he's 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 looking for trouble. It seems right. And so for me, like I, things will only get worse, and I feel that the cries of the people will get louder and louder and louder. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, have you ever seen like lame is? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so like, do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of angry? We're going to have like a lame is moment, man. It's going to be like the, the revolution. It's going to be civil war and it's going to be amazing. 
because we it needs. I'm, yes, I'm being facetious, but it needs to happen. Um, and I think it needs to happen sooner or later, which sucks because we're also in a pandemic. Yeah, I can't. I personally can't afford anybody getting sick and dying in this. We need people in the movement. We right. need people to be healthy. We need people to be strong. We need people out there on the streets. We need that. And at the same time, people, please stay home. Like, there's that weird tension. Like, I, like I'm like, I'm, I, I'm really, like, right now, I'm supposed to be actually at a rally, originally. And I was like, I can't go, man. Because I'm like, man. Because I know no one's going to be doing the social distancing thing. No one's going to be doing that at all. And I can't afford to be sick right now. I can't. Well, I probably already am, let's face it. I probably already have the COVID. But um, I, I can't afford that. And I'm really afraid that the movement will slow down as people get sick. And so that's another reason why um, allyship is so important, you know, because um, we need people. Okay, I'm going to say something that's probably really problematic. And I might get in trouble for it. <laughs> um, Actually, I will get in trouble for it, so I'm going to apologize now, and I'll take my hit later. Um, we, we, as, we as black people only have so much of a voice. We're very limited. We are, it feels like we're screaming out into the void. Um, and so there's not a whole lot that we can do apart from protest. That's it. Mm. That's where we stop. Now, I mean, yes, can we get into places of power? Yes. Can we speak truth to power? Yes. Um, but still, there's that, there's that weird glass ceiling there um, where we are not seen nor heard sometimes. And so we need our white allies not to speak for us, but to stand with us. Because um, you will be heard and seen before we are. And that's where the allyship really, really comes into play. That's where the active anti-racism work really, really happens. Yes, it happens with your buddy you know, at the pub. Yes, it happens at Thanksgiving dinner when your uncle says something stupid. Yes, but it also happens in these moments when we really, really need um, – we, we need – man, this is amazing moments where a group of women, these beautiful, wonderful women, all stood right in front of, 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 a, of, a, of a protest line. Because they knew the cops wouldn't come at them. And they just stood there down protecting their black siblings. And I was like, that's mother freaking allyship right there, man. And we need that all the time. We need you guys to really help us and stand with us in this. Because without that, it's just going to go back to how it was. It's going to go back to Trayvon. It's going to go back to Ferguson. It's going to go back to Baltimore. It's going to go back to... To mother freaking Rodney King, it's 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 not going to change. Um, we need uh, help. We need support. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a lot of of, of pictures and videos um, of that very thing. Um, what Al is running out to try to shield, um, and gosh, it's just to 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 think that we would see a, a day and age where that would even be necessary, right? Like we're we're that yeah. worried that the cops are going to attack peaceful protesters is just, um, sickening, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. one of the, one of the things I I've been thinking about too, is just like, you know, I've heard a lot of people be like, you know, ah, voting is not going to make a difference, but I can't help but think that like, yeah, but right now we have politicians who, um, 
are basically at, at, at the very least not doing anything to, to help change it uh, at worst are empowering it and encouraging it. I mean, our, our own president just said, you know, days ago, you know, you loot, we shoot or something to that. That's right. That's right. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, like how did we get to this place where a a president of the United States would literally uh, utter something like that? And then, uh, so, so I keep telling my friends, I'm like, it's, we at least have to get somebody in there who has some empathy, who at least will listen. And then, you know, the, the young people, I hate to say it, but the young people, this is, this is really their movement. I saw, um, uh, a young man online who's talking to an even younger man and, and saying like, like there's gotta be a better way and you guys have to come up with it. Like it, it's gotta be a movement of the youth. And I keep seeing like this last election in 2016 is, um, disappointing as it was and it is kind of terrifying as it was um on 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 every other level we saw um more diversity uh being elected to to public office than we had seen previously and it's like and and so i i can't help but feel like the youth have so much power and they don't even realize it uh but but historically they don't turn out in huge numbers even though they're 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 of age to vote and it's like we need them to show up. We need them to yes. show up in force. And like, yes. And, and you, the point that you made earlier about the pandemic too, I, I, I really, really worry that that will play into uh, this particular election in the fall, especially if we see another spike in the fall of COVID. Um, I, I worry that, that people will stay home because they're afraid. And I worry that we um, won't be able to, to vote by, by mail or, you know, whatever alternative that we have and that, um, you know, that the the people's voice won't be heard as a result. Totally. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that is a huge, huge, huge concern. Um, there's a, 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 a buddy of mine and he's always paranoid. He's like, I'm pretty paranoid to begin with, but he is like ultimately, he's insanely paranoid and it's really really funny and humorous and and he's he's a good sport about it thankfully um and he was like listen man um this is this is all happening he thinks that everything is kind of happening on purpose in order to bring black people out of their homes so they can come sick so they can die and this is trump's plan now i'm not saying that's true but that's a pretty cool theory (laughs) like i'm like I wouldn't put it. Okay, I'm kidding. But how horrible is that? That when I heard that, I actually had to think about that for a second and pause. My first reaction was, "No, dude, you're stupid." My first reaction was kind of like, "Huh?" And then I was like, "No, no, you're being paranoid." I think even that that whole looting and shooting thing. Um, that quote from shoot, uh, it was Walter Headley, I think, said that. So many years ago, um, in the late '60s, um, uh, this uh, this police chief Headley um, said that in a, in, a, in, a, in one of the hearings because um, he was sick and tired of civil rights leaders. He was like, you know what? When the looting starts, the shooting starts. As in, we're going to take them out. Mm. And it's so funny how you know the Trump being the dog whistler. Yeah, you know, he 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 wasn't this time. He was, he, he was that that was his Avengers assemble call. You know what I'm saying? He was like, "Let's go, guys!" 
it's grab your guns. Um, this season is so incredibly tense, and I'm so deeply concerned for the well-being of not just the people on the ground, not just the people who are protesting, um, the people who are leading the protests as well. I'm worried even for the cops. I, I really am because they're not wearing their masks. Right, um, right. You know what I'm saying? And so, and they have like, I mean, this is tense, but I mean, they have families too, right? So um, I'm concerned about them. I'm concerned about uh, the, 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 the leaders in, in power um, because I feel that they, I, I'm hoping that they're not turning a blind eye to this. Um, but I'm also concerned that this is not just happening here or there in the States, but like all over the world, people are risking their lives, not from bullets, not from flashbang grenades, not from mason, you know, tear gas, but from a virus that can take them out. Or, you know, best option is take them out for a couple months. I think we, like, and I'm not saying, in no way am I saying stay home, everybody, because the work needs to happen. But I'm, I am really concerned that this might slow everything down to a halt, especially when it comes to America, because November is coming up soon. It's just around the corner. And a lot of change can happen between now and then. And like I said before, we need, I need people healthy and strong to do the work that's, that's, that's in front of us. Um, it's going to take a lot of voices and probably a lot of screaming and yelling and maybe even a lot of looting and shooting in order for change to happen. And that's crazy enough. That's violence enough, let alone in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, um, I just want to let... – oh, go ahead. Sorry, go, and, and, and just to be clear, I'm a pacifist. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I don't – you know, I, mean, I don't like violence at all. I just, like, I just don't see it any other way. I, I, I do not see another way of change coming. Um, I wish there was. We've tried the peaceful, silent protest thing. we tried it many times before. Um, it hasn't gotten us anywhere. So this is it. This is what we got. And this is what we need to do. It's, it's, I'm, I'm really worried, really concerned. Anyways, I'm done. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, no, <laughs> cool. no, 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 by all means. Um, I, I all I was going to say was, uh, um, I, I want to leave this, this time for you to, uh, for any last thoughts that, that, that you have, um, on, on the situation and, and anything that's, you know, weighing on your heart to, to, to get out there. Hmm. I think, yeah, so if you are, if you're out there, if you're, uh, you're like, I, I want to be an ally, I, I think this is where I need to be, I want to join my voice with others, I want to stand beside um, people and to do the work, um, definitely grab some books, check out some podcasts, I mean, okay, so, uh, those two books we mentioned before, um, and I have uh, on my website. I have a bunch of resources which I'll you know I'll give to you, and you can, you can post it up. Um, I think learning and listening is so so very very important this season. Um, but if you can't, if you have the ability and the mental space and the energy to do more, I think going back to what Killer Mike says, I would um, find ways in which you can 
be a strong ally and speak truth to power. Uh, plot and plan and strategize. Plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. I had it mixed up. I had it backwards. Plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. I think we all need to do that, allies and, and people of color. and black, like it's, it's important for all of us to do that and do it together if we can because um, there's going to be things that I can't do that an ally can. I think this is the time. And I'm, the reason why I'm really pushing this is because I know that in a couple weeks – when everything sort of fades, everybody back to just chill out on Netflix, everybody back to, you know, other, other things would we'll be distracted by other things. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, and so if we can find a way to stay vigilant and, and keep this, if not front and center, then definitely keep it as part of our process in reading and studying and listening and acting out and being active in this way, I think we'll still see a change. We can't go back. This is, we can't go back to how it was last month. We can't reconcile to how, how it was back way back in the day. It needs to be new. The, the old must go away. It must burn. It must be tossed out. And we need to build something new. And that can only happen um, as we plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And and one thing that you mentioned too that I I, I wanted to just make sure I, I reiterated is uh, one of the things I'm I'm seeing that I think is um, would be a great idea if you're if you're listening you're trying to figure out how to help um, supporting your local black owned businesses is a big one. Oh my gosh, yes. And and then go also. Ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and then also, like, there's a, a number of organizations uh, nationwide that you can donate money towards, like the NAACP, and there's a whole host of other um, organizations. Um, I'll have links um, in the show notes for some of those as well. Yeah, that's really, really important because, um, I mean, everybody's suffering, right? Everybody, everybody's suffering. This is COVID times, man. It's not easy for anybody, but definitely, um, you know, businesses and restaurants and, like, black owned, you know, places and spaces, they are suffering a lot. And not only they're suffering financially, but they're grieving. They're emotionally going through hell. And so if you can support them, buy your books through them, buy your food from them. You know, um, I do a thing where like once a week I do a takeout and I try it and I'm, I'm very particular. And I try to do something local. That's not like a chain restaurant. Um, that's something I really believe in doing, supporting sort of the, the local people here. Um, and I mean, and the food is great. So, so I feel good. <laughs> um, I, I think that is key, um, in terms of keeping things moving forward. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, support, support every, I'll say this, support every single, um, black person that you are interacting with. Yes. I said every single one that you're interacting with. So this is big and this is bold. I haven't thought this through yet. So this is kind of, kind of crazy. Um, if, if there's an artist in your space, if there's um, like a, a great restaurant, if there is an activist that you love, there's a podcast that you love, if there's a, a local musician that you love, if there's a, uh, um, uh, a, a cool grandma down the street, you know, if there's some kids around the corner, find a way. Don't be like, hey, look at me. I'm the just do something cool. Find a way to support them. Um, and that, that takes work because you gotta, you can't just, I mean, you could just drop money off, but I think it's, I think being intentional with your support 
goes a long way in being an ally. And it shows that you, not that you care, but that you are standing with them and that you love them. In the same way that you just want to give your wife some, some any old thing, you want to be extremely intentional. Even with your best friend. You're like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll buy you like a one shoe. No, <laughs> you're going to try and find a way to bless them too. Well, I said bless. Wow, it's very Christian of me. Um, you're going to find <laughs> a way to make them know um, that you care and that you love them. Um, and so if we can do that, if we all can do that, that goes a long way. Um, I'm not saying that it's like an important part of allyship, but I think it's an amazing way to be a human. And so let's do that. And let's let our people know, you know, people around you, your neighbors, people across the street, people downtown, let them know that they're seen and that they're loved. I think that'd be amazing. Uh, uh, I love you, buddy. <laughs> love you too, man. Oh, this is so good. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I, I, I wish it was under better circumstances, but um, this was long overdue. So thanks, thanks for coming on and, and sharing some just crazy wisdom with us. Dude, th- thank you. And you know, I have to say this. Like, I know I said that uh, I'm a huge fan. The, <laughs> the reason why I said that is because when I was going through my spiritual crisis when everything died, I only had four voices to help me through this. Five, actually five. I had Rob Bell. I had the two mics and liturgists. Mm. And I had you guy. That's uh. it. I had nobody else. Mm. So thank you, thank you man. Ah, uh, that, that means a lot. I, I, we really appreciate that. And, um, Adam and I are still shocked when anybody knows who we are outside of Columbus. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. So, well, thank, thanks again for, for coming on. I, I know this is kind of short notice. We, we were kind of interacting through Twitter, like, Hey, does Tuesday work? And, um, I just, yeah, I, I so appreciate you coming on and, uh, um, and again, your music will be, uh, featured on this episode as well. So, um, awesome. yeah, if you guys want, out there want to support, uh, Drew and the work that he's doing, um, of course, all the links will be in there, uh, follow him on social media and, oh, one last thing too. I wanted to, to give you space to talk about, um, your, the idea that you had, um, on, on Twitter, uh, with the blackout. Oh, for, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I okay, love this. So, <laughs> so, um, when, when blackout day happened, um, which was great, but it, 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 it got, it, it was, it was weird. It was like, it was a misstep, right? It was like a sidestep. It was a weird pivot because it was supposed to be for musicians and for labels and for, you know, companies who make money off of music and slash, you know, black people in the music industry. So they're going to take a break, shut things down, spend time in the neighborhood, spend time with the families, try and actually just focus on what we can do better as companies and as people, as human beings. And that was great. That was beautiful. So it was great to see like Spotify and iTunes have nothing but black music for, for a day. Yeah. And it, it was amazing. And it was amazing. The playlists were fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, and it was great to see like all these like executives and producers, you know, shut down their socials for the day. It was wonderful. It was great. It turned into something totally different that um, essentially actually sort of blacked out a lot of black voices and a lot of the black movements who use social media to communicate and to share ideas and share thoughts. Um, what it, and so I was like, okay, so how can we, and I addressed that yesterday in a, in a tweet and in, in a Instagram post. And 
Um, a lot of people resonated with it, and they, they did a pivot. And so what they did is they said, we will do the black, the black image, but we will add a black um, voice, um, you know, activist, a writer, a musician to our post. Um, so it's not just, or we'll tag like great people online. So it's not just a black image that has nothing. Um, it's something that is actually sharing a story, a narrative. And I was like, wait a minute, why, why are we doing this one day? Let's do it for the rest of the week. Yeah. How, how cool would that be? And so I was like, okay, let's do this. And so I went on Instagram. I said, let's call it the blackout challenge. And I, I hate net challenges like the, you know, the, the <laughs> yeah. bucket challenge and the, this, I hate stuff. Passion. It, it drives me up the wall, but I was like, you know what? It works. Let me shut up and let's go from there. So, um, blackout challenge. And I was like, yeah, step one, you grab a black image of the black square that you used the day before and blackout day, boom, put it up. But in the caption, put a quote from a black author in a book title, maybe put, put post a lyric from a black music artist, um, maybe a black organization or like a, like a local business, um, an online creator or an activist or an educator, um, encourage your fo- your followers to kind of follow these people as well and, and to, su- to financially support them. Um, but then I also said, um, because ye- yesterday, you know, on blackout day, people were using the black lives matter hashtag, which was really pl- problematic. Um, yeah. It, and I said, it, you know what? Explain that real quick because I, I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm a uh, social media illiterate. And so I, I, I had no, I, I barely know how hashtags work. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, so sure, explain, yeah. but somebody explained it to me and I was like, Oh, I had no idea. So explain to people why, why that was problematic. Okay. So originally hashtags were used kind of in, in, in like, this is back in like text-based internet back in the day, work groups and stuff like that. It was a way to kind of find topics and to find people and to find spaces. So it'd be a hashtag, uh, whatever, um, comment looks hashtag, and that you can find your people through these hashtags. Um, and so it's a great way to, to communicate, to share ideas, to share thoughts. Um, you can talk through that. You know, you can create, you can say, this is happening in LA, this is happening. So it's a really great way to kind of share ideas and communicate with people. Um, but what happened is that when everybody started using that hashtag, all people can see is black. And it was black with nothing attached to it. Mm. It wasn't like a black screen with text. It was just black. Yeah. And people were like, oh. And so you can scroll through like Instagram or whatever and use that hashtag and see nothing. And it looks cool. Don't get me wrong. It looked pretty badass. But it was like, this is useless. It's actually disrupting um, how our flow of information. And that's hurting the cause. And so I was like, oh, but what would happen if we use that for good? <laughs> yeah. So, so the step three of the challenge is, I mean, use, you know, let's use the hashtag like blackout week or the blackout so that, you know, we can sort of, you know, also share what we're posting and stuff like that. I think that's really cool as we share, you know, about local businesses and artists and activists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But why don't we try and black out some of the voices that we don't like, like all lives matter or Trump 2020 or MAGA or blue lives matter. Right. Um, because then as people go on to like Trump 2020 to kind of find out what's Donald doing today, hopefully they can see it to see a black. Yeah. And when they click on the, when they click on the image, it's all going to be 
people of color and their work and their voice and their businesses and being supported financially. That's cool. That's like holy disruption. You know what I'm saying? And that is, I mean, I mean, yes, it's only social media, but social media is kind of all we have right now in, in these COVID times. We, we all lean on it so heavily. And so I think that's a great way. Like, it's to brilliant. Be, to protest in this way. You know what I mean? And so it's like it's, it's stopping business as usual. We're going to knock on the door of white supremacy and give them the finger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's just going to be all black. And I think it's going to be so much fun. If, I mean, if people join in, please, please help us. <laughs> That's, it's, I saw that. I saw that online yesterday and I thought, what a brilliant idea to just clog up the, you know, just with nothing but just goodness, you know, like. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, once I once I learned how hashtags work, then I was like, "Oh, that's great! That's a great idea." So yeah, I love that. I love it. Uh, well, Drew, thanks again for coming on, man. This is such a um, a great conversation, and uh, um, we'll have to have you back on again. Uh, you know, during more peaceful times where we can talk about music and and the other part of of what you do for a living. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that, man. Thank you so very much. All right, thanks, man.
We will